Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is Shareable, the podcast so good, you got to tell someone about it. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. In every episode, I talk with someone about the impact that people and technology have had on their career and their lives. So, let's get to it. Wonder Twin Powers, activate. Form of... I don't even know. But I will say this. Lynette is my Wonder Twin. And I love me some Lynette Young. Lynette was the first guest on the True Voice Media podcast. And I had to wait a little bit. I couldn't make her the first one on both, right? So I need a little bit of time to settle in and get my groove in. Now that I have sort of a rhythm in this podcast, I brought Lynette on and we went all over the place and it was awesome. But what's cool is I've known Lynette for almost a decade now and I got to actually learn more about her from different angles than I ever have before. And that's one of the things I love about this show is that I actually get to talk to people that I know pretty well sometimes and learn about the people and technology that have changed their lives and how it happened and why it happened, and what it did to them. And I just love that about this show. And I hope you love that about this show. So listen in. This is Lynette Young on Shareable. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the show that we call Shareable. Today, today I have something very special happening. Now, I have special things that happen all the time. But you see, on the uh, the line with me today is my wonder twin as... We affectionately refer to each other as uh, Wonder Twin Powers Activate, form of introduce yourself. Oh, that's cheating. I totally had that in my back pocket for later. I can't believe <laughs> you like pulled that ace right out of your jacket and just, all right, we're good. I'm the other Wonder Twin. You're the one that can transform into Wonder. I'm the one that can transform into animals, just so everybody out there is clear. Um, my name is Lynette Young, and uh, I am a true entrepreneur. We're going to talk about that later. But uh, I actually have my, I guess, two things going on right now. The first is that I am the co-founder, co-founder of a software as a service company that it operates in a really tight niche um, for as far as our market goes. And the second is, is I do a lot of speaking and training to family-owned small business owners trying to keep their sanity and success and not losing their mind when they have to work with their family. So uh, it's really two completely different sides of life, but it's what makes me happy and what I do. Cool. I, I sense a spinoff coming one day about teaching families how to go on vacation and not kill each other. No, that's not possible. I'm a real I'm a realist here. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I only go into realistic industries. <laughs> Lynette, I'm so happy to have you on this show. You've been on my previous podcast. You were actually guest number one on the True Voice Media slash social media philanthropy podcast, whatever it's called. And um, you know, we we can't even begin to describe to people our story. So we won't even try. But what we will say is that uh, what I will say is I'm really happy to have you on this show. So uh, this is cool because you and I know each other for quite a while at this point, And I feel like we know each other pretty well professionally and even personally to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But this show gives me an opportunity to actually examine you from a different perspective than I ever have and ask you different questions. So I'm really excited about it. So are you ready for me to pick you apart? 
technologically and personally. I am caffeinated and ready to go, sir. Word. So uh, it's so funny that this beginning part, I feel like I know the answers to, but are you an early adopter or late adopter or somewhere in between? Uh, extremely early. This Way early. You knew that was going to be the answer. I know. I mean, I know like that. Actually, I even know the first technology questions, but just so, you know, I do this <laughs> so that that, you know, that my listeners can know. But also, I feel like I know these. But um, on a scale of one to 10, where would you put yourself technologically speaking? Can I do half numbers? Yeah, of course. I'm going to allow you to do things I don't allow other people to do. Oh, man. All right. Ten and a half. What? You went to <laughs> ten and a half? I thought you were going to be like uh, 8.5 or like a, a listen, 9, 9.25. You went with a 10 and a half. You're crazy. You're like spi- cyborg. Listen, only spinal tap can go to 11. <laughs> going right. to 10 and a half. All right. So this is, this one I actually don't know the answer to, but if you went online and just opened up any social network or whatever, and, and you were to appeal to whatever your immediate instinct is of how you're most comfortable operating online, would you create content, curate content, comment on it, or just passively watch? I would say it's mostly curation and creation. Pick one. You have to pick one. It's my show. Uh, create. Okay. I do create. <laughs> so if you're laying the hammer down, I'm going to go with create. I am. I'm laying the hammer down. And and just as an aside for those that don't know Lynette yet, one, shame on them. And two, uh, you've been in the podcasting game for a very long time. So we're definitely going to yeah. talk about that. So I think it's mm-hmm. interesting that – um, your creation dates back to before some of these things were, uh, were so cool and hip, uh, final quick getting to know you technology question. Are you an iPhone or an Android? I think I remember you're an iPhone, correct? Uh, if I could physically embed the iPhone technology under my skin, I would. Nice. Hear that Apple? Yeah. I have the watch on. It's all, (laughs) it's all in there. Like, you know, Iron Man where he puts the little things under his skin so his suit can find him. That's what I need for my iPhone when I lose it. So my iPhone can find me. Oh my God. That would be so dope if you could just like hold your hand out and it would just like fly to your hand. Oh, I would totally, totally buy that technology. All right. Somebody needs to get on that and Jeff and I will let you use that idea. (laughs) If any of my listeners are friends with Tim Cook, please let him know that we need Iron Man iPhone technology. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. So Lynette, as you know, this show is my passion project of trying to understand how the two forces of people and technology impact our lives and our careers. And Mm -hmm. I have had the benefit of knowing you for long enough to have seen part of your career and to know some of the stories. And I'm really interested in understanding at a much deeper level, the impact that technology has had on your career and your life, because you are one of those people I know that is very quick to adopt technology. And you're also very thoughtful about technology. You have theories on whether things will survive or not survive, and even whether or not it matters if it survives. So I'm really curious how how this all started for you with this kind of technology obsession being, you know, a woman in tech and really standing for that and carrying the torch for that. Talk to me about how technology has impacted the life that you live. You know, I love this question and I've been thinking about it a lot lately actually for for a couple of reasons, but to I I'm in my mid forties. I'm 45 right now. So I'm one of my gen X. So like people are my generation kind of created, or at least brought up the web and things like that, even if we didn't technically create it. Although younger folks have been, you know, picking up that kind of torch and running with it. So sometimes people would look at someone in my age bracket and say, oh, well, she doesn't really, 
you know, she's not a digital native, but I am. I honestly do not remember my life without technology in any way, shape or form. I'm sure as a kid, I didn't have it, you know, but, um, I remember very specifically when I was in high school. So you're going to get the behind the scenes Lynette here. When I was in high school, I was done with my classes early. Like I had all my credits by the half of my senior year. So I had a half a day I could do nothing. Right. And so I went out and I got a part-time job to try to pay for college. And I wound up working at a technology company. They were, I don't know, some big a, uh, AS 400, like way back in the day. But I worked in the office and I was supposed to answer phones and stuff like that. But my boss, I love him to this day, saw more in me than that, right? So he had friends in California and they had all of this technology, uh, you know, OS2 and Microsoft and Novell and all this network engineering stuff, which is what I wound up being for the first half of my career, I suppose. And the weekend after I graduated high school, I actually installed my first computer network, servers, wires, splicing things. I was crawling up in ceilings. That's what I did. He saw it in me. He pushed me nicely. And I wound up becoming a network engineer when I literally had no focus out of high school. I had no money for college. I had nothing. Um, Wound up dropping out of college to teach college. And I wound up teaching technology at college because I was kind of so far above everything. And he really made me realize that Number one, I could do anything that I wanted. There was no gender thing back then. It was just me doing it and and becoming immersed in the technology aspects of it. Um, but two, it it also set my career path, I guess, for my whole life. Professionally, I always grew up, so to speak, with men, men in technology. It was very typical in the 90s, early 90s, stuff like that. So I literally didn't even recognize that there was like a gender issue or a problem with women in technology until I started getting exposed to it more on the outside. But I think because I was sort of, I know this sounds weird, but I was sort of brought up like a man in there, you know, people would get into it with me or I've had people throw phones and pieces of computers at me and I would pick it up and throw right back at them. You know, if they could do something, I could do something better because I was just so naive. I didn't even know any better. Um, So that kind of really kept me focused in that for a long time. But I started out as literally in high school as a network engineer, and that's what I did until 2000. And then I made the switch to the whole social thing. But, you know, I don't know what life is like without technology. I don't know what it's like without the web or Prodigy or CompuServe or bulletin board, you know, BBSs that I was running illegally in the closet at my company. I don't remember life before that, which is not typical for someone my age. Um, But I think that because of that, it's helped me kind of bridge, um, you know, newer people, younger people, people in their 20s now that don't understand what life was like when it was coming up, what a modem sounds like, Um, you know, how to, you know, make things small enough so they're compressed over the Internet. So you're not taking lots of bandwidth and stuff like that to older folks that kind of got passed by and they feel like the world's passing them by. So I tend to be a really good bridge for that. But in reality, I act like I'm 23 years old as far as technology goes. If it's new and it's cool and I think I could play with it, I have to jump into it. Uh, We own two VR headsets. We're looking at a 3D camera right now. I mean, this is what we do for fun. So if it's new and it's geeky and it's technology based, we're absolutely into it. Um, but yeah, I don't remember life before tech, honestly. It was a very dark, bleak time in my life, I suppose. So do me a favor, like really like dig deep to try and tell me the answer to this. But what is it about the technology? Like what makes you 
want to look at that stuff instead of being terrified by it or uh, any of the other millions of reactions that you could potentially have to technology like you're you're just drawn to it like gravity what is it like what is behind all of that why do you run towards it you know what i guess in its core in one word to me technology equals freedom so when i was in school when i had no idea what i was doing and i had a rough childhood as far as you know being the poor kid in the poor town kind of thing and i was very i know brace yourself i was very introverted and I was afraid of people. I didn't want to talk to people this now. I thought I was going to go to school for mortuary science. I thought I was going to be an undertaker because I was so terrified of people. I would rather hang out with dead people. Like oh my that was God. This yeah, is right? the weirdest thing that you could have said on the podcast because I cannot <laughs> see it at all. If if I said that to someone, I think somebody would probably have a heart attack. I'm having a similar reaction right now that, that that's actually how you were because I you're know. so outgoing and personable. Yeah. And for the, for everybody listening, I mean, Jeff and I have known each other probably for coming up on 10 years now. And yeah, I'm listen, nobody can match Jeff's outward extrovertedness because he is the dictionary definition of it. But I'm about two steps under him. But yeah, I was so introverted and so afraid of people and so socially awkward that I was like, I'm going to go to school for mortuary science because dead people, yay, they don't talk to me. They don't pick on me. But I found the same comfort in technology, to be honest. I could understand it. I could harness it. I could manipulate it. But then at the same time, I realized that I could use it to connect things. And when I realized that I could connect things, I realized I could connect people. And it actually brought me out of my shell quite a bit. I mean, being 23 years old and running a department of 40 technology professionals that were all male, that is trial by fire. You have to learn people skills. You have to understand how to do that. But it was the technology actually brought me my comfort level with people. And now it's off the charts. I mean, it's ridiculous now, but that's what I liked. Technology to me was something, it was bits and bytes, black and white. I could understand it. There was no gray areas with it. Like there were with people, which were kind of confusing to me. Um, so technology really brought me out of my shell as far as people are concerned. And then of course, with the advent of social, when that started coming around, I mean, for me, it was 99, 2000, I saw stuff inside of companies going. And then when it started exploding on the outside, I was like, sign me up, sucker. I'm all in for this. And it's just been, you know, what, 17 years since then that, you know, it's, it's been a party. It's been fun. And that's what I see technology as technology equals freedom, period. So, okay. I, so, I, so get that. Right. So tech, I see technology as freedom too. So, you know, if I want to do something, I know because I can build a website and I know how that works, I can put up an idea. I can start a company. I can, like there's so many things I can do because of that. I know that I can reach my audience because I understand the mechanisms of social and how to market. But let's take that and flip it on its head for a second because I'm curious, do you ever feel that technology is the antithesis of freedom? Maybe it's the the um, uh, it, it's our own prison that we've created for ourselves. You know, you look at the the recent and this is this is dating when this podcast was recorded versus when it's released, but you know, there was just the uh, the bill uh, basically eradicating internet privacy. Um, there's, you know, retargeting, there's the, uh, the shouting matches that happen on Twitter and on Facebook, where even if you have an idea, you could be harassed, threatened, or suppressed by louder and more aggressive voices. I'm wondering how often, how often do you balance out whether technology is still freedom versus whether or not it's potentially starting to the pendulum swinging in the other direction? 
You are so right on this. I definitely see the pendulum swinging in the other direction. Um, that, you know, freedom comes with a downside, freedom of, of communication, freedom of expression, all of this. And, and I say freedom, not in the, in the capacity of living in the United States of America and legal freedoms or, or civil freedoms and that sort of things. I'm just talking about in a general, like how fluid it is and how easy it is to connect with others and to find out and to research and, and help be, or, or be a part of an experience partially experience other people's lives. But yeah, this whole thing is insane. And, you know, I've gotten into tons of discussions about, especially about this whole, you know, government people opening up and looking at our browser history and stuff like that, that I'm smart enough and my family, cause I'm married to a geek too, is smart enough. You know, the first thing we run a VPN, like you're, there's nobody's going to look at my stuff because we're smart enough. We wear tinfoil hats in this house, but not everybody is. <laughs> Me too. Mine's really pretty. It has crowns on it and jewels. My tinfoil has very You gotta pretty. watch out. If you use the wrong kind of jewels, they can still see into your mind. I know they can. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I am smart enough to understand how to get around to it or how to understand the dangers of it. But because people get online and they openly bash one another or a threat, and I've definitely been on the receiving end of that. I mean, when Google Plus was the thing, right? And I was one of the queens of Google Plus, you know, I would get threats that you would normally see, you know, the FBI called in for and things that wind up on, you know, the six o'clock news. And, you know, that's part of the freedom that comes with it. And I'm not going to say it's worth the trade-off because it's not. I don't believe that the the benefits of the technology nowadays are worth the trade-off of the bad things that come with it. Um, some people would say if it's open, it's open for everything, good, bad, and otherwise, but I don't believe that to be true. I think that, and I definitely, cause I've seen this for what, 30 years now or however long it's been, I've definitely seen the evolution or the de-evolution of humanity because of technology, because of the freedoms and the fluidity that it allows us. Um, and I really hope that I'm around long enough to see it swing the other way. I completely agree. I, I sometimes get so disheartened with it. You know, like you, you know, Google Plus, Google Plus is like a really uh, interesting example, just because that was around the time where like the real name policy thing was like a, uh, it was a, it was a conversation that was being had and it was like, well, you know, if you remove the anonymity, you, you remove a lot of the trolls, people are less likely to say things when it's attached to their real name. And, you know, a mere like two years after that, we're seeing that people don't even, they don't even think twice about getting on Facebook and unleashing the most vivid of racist rants. Um, so it's kind of amazing how, um, yeah, there, you know, idealistically, I'd like to say, yeah, it should all be open and you take the good with the bad, but then you see some of the harassment that happens on Twitter and on Facebook and all of these sites and you think, well, is it worth it? And why, you know, why do people have to ruin something that could be such a good thing by, by making it terrible? Yeah. And I'm not advocating, um, censorship or anything along those lines. And I, I will say that, you know, as people have become emboldened online, it's now, offline as well too. I mean, I go to the grocery store and I see people walking around with, you know, a shirt of, you know, either side, either affinity for politics or for local or whatever it is. And they will walk, I mean, completely not a word to you. Otherwise walk up to you chest to chest, scream in your face about something where even five years ago was the general population of this country or any other so emboldened that they could actually walk up to a complete stranger and start screaming and cursing at them in a public space because now they feel they have the right to 
um, I feel because of the technology. So that's where I'm like, it's, I'm really kind of disappointed about that. But being one of the literal first people on Twitter, um, Biz Stone actually set up my first Twitter account by hand and I had to change it to what it is now, Lynette Radio, and they couldn't even change it. So I had to create a new account. But, you know, Twitter, in my opinion, is the absolute worst offender for not standing up for the support and the security of its users. Um, and you see now Twitter is the biggest cesspool of all of them, with the exception of maybe Reddit. So, you know, it, it's there's a lot of work to be done. And I don't think that um, just because you can say something nasty or behave a certain way that you should. Um, I'm kind of, I guess, pining for the old fashioned, you know, civil relationships and, and communications with people. So, so I think uh, this actually is a really interesting point for us to, to transition to the people part of it. And in a different way than I think we've ever in this show before talked about it, because normally at this point, I like to ask people about the people that have had a massive impact in their life and, and how they've changed their life. And I, and I do want to hear about that from you, but before we go there, I think it would be kind of a good natural pivot to, to talk about the impact in this particular conversation where people are being vitriolic and emboldened to say horrible things online, that there's nothing really from a technology standpoint that we can truly do short of censorship and, you know, keyword searching and things like that and blocking IPs, et cetera. But, but to st that stops only the actual actions. It doesn't stop the, the underlying disease. And I think the only thing that really stops that underlying problem, that, that hatred and divisiveness is in people seeing each other as human beings once again and learning respect and learning manners. Where do you stand on the, um, I guess, where the world is right now as it relates to our ability as human beings to detach ourselves from the technology because we, we see each other as avatars hidden behind a computer screen as opposed to real-life human beings? Do you see it as being possible or likely that as, as human beings, we're going to be able to get back to a civil society where we're able to see each other as human beings and instill those kind of values that, that the next generation is maybe better than the ones we're seeing now. Absolutely. And I feel that the key to all of that is storytelling, which is why I was what, you know, I was in podcasting like 2004, like way early because I love the medium of storytelling. I love how you can tell it, you know, the platform or the medium, I should say, of how you tell a story, it's different. It could be a book, it could be online, it could be a video, it could be a podcast, it could be whatever, a snap. The f I think that people are losing their ability to either tell a story or to consume a story and take it to heart. If you look at something, you know, whatever goes online, could be business, could be politics, could be whatever, and you look at something as a line item, it becomes very uh, sterile. But if you hear how the story, how the actual people, how somebody's life is impacted by this, good, bad, or otherwise, it it changes people. And I think it makes them say, okay, that you're different than me, but you're one of us. And I feel very strongly that if we can get out of this, or I should say not out of, but in addition to, we've gotten very um, ephemeral in our content in the past couple of years, right? So like, like everything you put on Twitter, you could buy a service and get it back. Facebook, you can kind of get stuff, blogging, video, it's all there. But when you talk about things like Snapchat or Instagram stories and all that kind of stuff, it's ephemeral. You could say it and it goes away and no one knows any better. So I feel like a lot of this trash talk and a lot of the, even the value and the stories are becoming ephemeral 
Um, you know, back when people barely drew pictures of stories on caves, the stories were gone. You can never capture them again. But I'm very much looking forward to when we can kind of augment this and make it all go together where we can have a mix of ephemeral and more permanent type things where we can tell a story, um, different ways to reach different people on different platforms. And then that makes us human again to one another. So I think the technology can swing us back, but it's up to us to figure out how to tell our stories in the right way to kind of not help people, you know, understand, but just to kind of get your own point across and put your own flag in the ground about, you know, where a person is, where a business is, where a community is, you know, just in life and, and how other people could possibly relate to it. I think it's a really interesting point about the ephemeral content. And it's something that I think a lot about because I think all of this, push towards live video and short form storytelling and disappearing content is a reaction to the long searchable lifespan of a tweet or of a Facebook post or of a blog post. And I think people are looking for something that's less polished and more real. At the same time, the fact that it disappears opens up people to feeling like there's less consequence. And and I think if we're looking at what what needs to be embedded into our usage of technology that maybe we haven't taught enough to people who are using technology or that people don't consider enough is I think, and this alludes to your storytelling point, but it's empathy. It's understanding that there's a human being on that other side of that threat or that attack. And granted, I'm guilty at like going online and finding people with opposing views and just like crapping all over them. So like I'm no saint, but, um, <laughs> but I do think that that's probably the key. And I, I, I'm concerned that that's going to be a very difficult thing for us to teach because it's not like a plugin that you can install. It actually takes work to get people to to see that their words have uh, value and they have impact and they could potentially hurt or help someone, you know? No, I agree. And even on like a professional level, not just a personal community human level. Um, I was just having this conversation the other day. Like I know the lay of the land as far as, you know, social communications and social technology goes. I personally am having a hard time wrapping my head around this disposable media because I feel like you put as much work into it as something that has more permanence, but you don't get as much, I guess, um, you know, you don't get as much mileage out of it. And I'm like, why, why should we kill ourselves for, you know, cause I'm of the school of like content pillars and, you know, redistribute and tell stories in different ways on different platforms. And, if, you know, you've got this ephemeral content of, you know, a 24 hour video story that's going to go away, like, why should I kill myself? Why should we spend all this money? Why should I tell a company or advise a company to put, you know, medium amount of production value into something and, and weeks and weeks of research for something that's literally not going to exist in a day? I completely um, so agree. I, I have I a hard about time it all the that. time. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. hundred percent. I, I think the business case for disappearing media is it, it has a very limited number of uses. It's like flash sales and, you know, maybe some really exclusive behind the scenes stuff. But for the most part, I just I have a hard time wrapping my head around where it fits, because, again, it does take time, production value. And even if you did it without the same level of production value or effort or, or planning that you would for something that you're, you're going to be able to keep, um, you still have to take time to produce it. Even if it's just crap, you still have to take the time and that time is money. So I'm with you. I can't really understand it. 
Yeah, and for me, the argument that I have every week, it's like, oh, you want me to do video today? I got to put makeup on. Like, th- that's my whole production value. It's like, do I have to wear makeup or not? And which is so ridiculous in the scheme of things. Me too. But you know, uh, <laughs> you have to put makeup on too. I'm wearing but, makeup for this podcast. <laughs> I am not, sir. I am absolutely not. I'll put some <gasps> on now. I'll put lipstick on. I'll feel better. <laughs> but you know, there is. And it's effort. And the thing is, is the people that are really good at this ephemeral content make it look effortless. And that's the whole, you know, iceberg above the waterline. It looks so easy. Look it. But then you forget the hours that it takes them to get something done. It's like back in the day. It's like, well, a tweet takes 20 seconds to type in. Why? Why do you need so much money? Why do you need so much time? I don't understand. It's 20 seconds. Give me a phone. I could do it now. But you don't realize all the stuff on the back end. And now that we're mobile and video centric now, which is we weren't five years ago, even though every year was the year of the mobile, you know, that's actually past now. We're past that. This is our reality. Voice search on mobile, you know, videos, short form things, uh, uh, all mobile based, mobile first. And people that are good at it make it look effortless and it makes it hard for the rest of us, for the people that know how much work is actually involved behind the scenes and how much it takes. That's why I'm always, I've always been, my medium of choice is always podcasting. Always. I don't have to wear makeup and I can edit it. It's amazing. Yeah. I, um, I've dabbled with a lot of different types of media. I tried to start a, a daily video blog at the beginning of the year. I made it 20 days and I was like, screw this. It was like so much more work than I thought. I love the podcast cause I love talking to people. I mean, um, I just, I'm selfishly doing this podcast. Like I just love talking to the people that I get on and picking their brains and hearing about their experience. And thankfully there are people that like listening to it. Um, and I love writing. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to, to really, um, advocate for the disappearing media thing, but it seems to be, that's where the trend is going. Uh, now that we have Facebook stories and such, everybody's in on it. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Lynette, tell me about someone that changed your life. I want to, I mean, you told me about the guy that, uh, that put you in the position. He saw something in you and had you climbing up around his ceilings, but tell me about <laughs> someone else that, that changed your life. I'm curious because you know, you're a very appreciative person. I, we, number of times we sat down for drinks and you acknowledge this person and that person. Like you're, you're a very thoughtful person about the impact that other people have had in your life and, and your success. Tell me about someone that comes right to your mind that changed your life. Oh, this is probably going to be cliche, but I'll say my husband. That's uh, not cliche. We, is it not? Okay. No, I actually believe at this point now that I've done this enough times and asked this question that there's no such thing as a cliche answer because every person's like, ah, oh, this is kind of a cop-out answer, but, and then they answer something that I'm like, what? No one's ever said that. Um, I think, I think spouse has been said before, but I don't think it's cliche. My answer would be my dad. And that's about as cliche as it gets, right? Like your parents. So I think husband's a good answer, but go on. Yeah. I guess so. So my husband and I, we've been, we've been together about 20 years, married about 17, but he is my business partner and we weren't, we've, both of us are very entrepreneurial. Um, he's owned several technology companies, been, you know, technology consultants over the years and I've been all over the place. Right. So we've worked what I say with or next to each other sometimes, and it didn't always work out. We always had to learn how to work 
in the same vicinity as each other, but we could never work on projects together because it just didn't gel. And I don't know if it was just our chemistry with that particular project or whatever, you know, it was always different. And whenever I say that I work with my husband a hundred percent, people roll their eyes and that's horrifying for them. The only rule we have is that I can't work in the same physical office as him. (laughs) I have to have my own space. But other than that, we work really well together. Um, He lets me you know, and it actually encourages me to experiment and, you know, I'm kind of back on the speaking circuit again and stuff like that. And I've, we always kind of, um, uh, balance each other out when one person is doing something crazy and entrepreneurial and very risky, the other makes sure that we're the bedrock for that person. So it flips from time to time as you would think over two decades, but he's definitely the person that has been like, all right, yeah, that sounds a little batshit, but go ahead. You know, like he's, (laughs) whatever, Lynn, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And, you know, he's always kind of been there to support me with that. Even when I come up with some crazy ideas, um, right now, the company that we own, uh, is called claim wizard. And this was a dream of his for a long time. So I purposely shifted what I was doing with my business to support him and then fought very hard against actually joining him in his dream business. I did not want to work for the company that I was a co-founder of. I didn't want to work with him. I didn't want anything to do with the industry, even though I had been doing it for 20 years, I didn't want to do anything with it. But then we realized we were very, very symbiotic with each other. Uh, me being very small talky, touchy feely. I love going to the conferences and he was very solutions minded for clients and that tended to work well. So he is definitely my biggest, uh, my biggest person I'd have to say. That's what's up. Make sure you tell him to listen to this episode so that he can hear you say it. All husbands <laughs> probably want to have that on record. So now it's on record. <laughs> True. So, um, Lynette, you've had a really interesting career, been all over the place. You had, uh, you know, being the, the first woman on uh, Google Plus to get to a million people, right? And you, you've just mm. done all these different things. You've adopted technology early, really interesting career. You've had, you're a true and true entrepreneur, so you've had your your highs, your lows. So look back on all that and think, okay, throughout that whole thing, somewhere along the line, I've learned different lessons. What's the one you would go back and tell yourself early in the career, just because if you had learned it much earlier, shit would have been so much easier? Um, Well, two, number one, and I know you've said it too, never work for another person or another company. I'm my own boss, period, end of discussion. Um. I work well with others, but not well for others, if that makes sense. But the other thing, yeah, the other thing I would have to say is I am sick to death and should have done it way earlier. I will never exchange my time for money again. I will never do it. I, I understand affiliate marketing, although it's not really my thing, but I am very much into um, residual income very much. I mean, our platform is software as a service. We build it once we sell it many and they pay us every month. That is how I should have been. We should have done this way earlier. The technology now obviously supports it. Not only am I, you know, huge on the SaaS platform. I'm also huge on what I call mass marketing as a service, package it up, sell it like the, the make your work the best that it can be. And don't kill yourself over and over tweaking things for this person, that person, offer the best that I have out there and the people that need it and want it will, will take it. And I'm also very big on this, like learning as a service, the very, you know, like online e-courses and videos. And I believe that if you're customizing content a hundred percent for every single person or every single person with a credit card in front of you, 
you dilute yourself, you exploit yourself, you run yourself down. Concentrate and narrow on the thing that makes you amazing and sell that. Don't compromise, don't change, do that. Now I'm not saying don't be realistic, but you know, stick to your core. If you, you know, and just sell it to as many people as as want it. And if they don't want it, then they're not your people. And I used to chase, you know, people all the time, you know, chase their admiration, chase chase their approval and stuff like that. Well, okay, I'll do all this crazy stuff for you and no, that's not me. And I won't deviate from my core of who I am or what I'm good at again, because when I deviate, I'm not, it's not my best product. It's not my best self. And then I look like, I look like a hack and I, I refuse to be seen as that. Absolutely. Oh, I think after this episode, I'm going to need to go sit down and like think my life over because I, <laughs> I'm so obsessed with a lot of those same things like residual income. I like the idea of marketing as a service. I find myself fighting so many uphill battles. Um, and, and you said it like, you know, if, if, if somebody doesn't want to buy that thing that you've got, find somebody that does, or, you know, that I've been really into this concept of social business since before it had a name. And I'm just, I still believe in it so fully and it's such a hard sell. And I wonder what the approach is. And, and I partly think about like putting together a course. I've already built the entire curriculum for social business university and, I'm just like, ah, oh, how can I, how can I do this? So you've given me just a lot to think about. So if nothing else, uh, everybody gets to witness this therapy session between Jeff and Lynette. <laughs> uh, so Lynette, you're, you're, you've been adopting technology from a very young age and you've been ahead of the curve and you think about things and you're always on looking for the next thing. What do you think is the skill of the future? The one skill people should be thinking about for the future. Is it in technology? Is it in people skills? Is it in something else entirely? Um, wow. All right. So I didn't see that question coming, which was kind of dumb of me. Uh, it, it is, it's technology. I believe, but technology does not equal coding, which is something I still struggle with in my own mind. People will say, oh, you own a software as a service company. What, you know, what, you know, technology stack. I'm like, dude, I have no, I mean, I know, but I'm like, I don't code. And they're like, oh, you're not really technology, but People will say it to women and not to men because I've seen it happen in front of me. A guy could still be in tech and not code, but a woman can't. Um, so that's something I struggle with. So when I say technology, I don't mean coding, although I think it's very important to understand what you can do with that. But every solution cannot be fixed or augmented with technology, but everything that you do requires technology. I guess it makes sense on the back end. You know, even, uh, you know, somebody that runs a zoo, somebody that is an animal caretaker, some, all, it doesn't matter what you do, you need technology. So I absolutely believe that it's the, the connectivity of technology that you should be paying attention to, um, how to use it, how to, you know, managers, things like that. So I believe that that's really what it is, but I'm seeing a lot of it being, um, augmented, I suppose. Like I love augmented reality. Um, I've been playing with the concept of 3d cameras for a really long time. So if you can figure out how to understand business and their pain points and their needs, and then hunt down or create the technology to fill those needs, I think that that's the biggest thing. Cause I see that all the time with what I do. They're like, Oh gee, you know, I wish I knew how to do this to help my business. And I'm like, but it look, just look two degrees to your left. It's right here, but people can't see out of their own bubble. So I think if you can have the skills where, you know, the soft skills of obviously people, 
business acumen and the idea of the technology, that tri- trifecta, l- linking them together is the key to, to making things successful. So the skill is really the synthesis of bringing those things together, but also the perspective of looking for technology solutions to problems and being yeah. aware of what's out there, maybe not even in your own industry, but kind of what's out there and being open to thinking about how to solve problems with technology. Yeah. I mean, for what we do, our software platform has nothing to do with real estate, but yeah, I go to real estate and I look to see if there's solutions there or problems that they need to be fixed that I can fix and bring over to our side of things. Uh, you know, working with family owned businesses, most of those are, you know, what would technically be considered a small business. I'm going up and I'm looking at legacy enterprise global companies like Walmart, and I'm looking for solutions there you know, to, to bring down and the, the whole bringing things across, I think is really important. I mean, I've talked to plenty of like, say programmers or developers in my life. They're like, I'm like, what are you making? They don't know. They just build the solution. They don't know what the solution can actually be used for. And if you're the person in between, I think that's really important. Awesome. I dig it. All right. It's rapid fire time. You ready? Yes. Here we go. You have your phone next to you. Oh, geez. Yeah. What are the apps in your dock? Uh, mail, phone, safari messages. <sighs> Boring. I, I know. Shut up. I, uh, I, it's amazing. Every episode, every episode, I'm amazed by it. I, I feel like I'm just one day somebody's going to say four that are not the standard ones. Like everyone says the standard ones. I'm shocked by it. Okay. What's one application, web, desktop, mobile, doesn't matter that you can't live without because it's just so damn useful. <sighs> Feedly. Good one. I like that. I, Are you a pro Feedly user? I'm a pro feed. Yes. I give them money. Also because they're a SaaS platform and I, you know, respect <laughs> so yeah. give them money. <laughs> um, did you, uh, did you transition over to them once Google reader died? Yes. I miss Google Reader. Let's not talk about that. No, that was sad. Okay, so all social media sites are going to be deleted tomorrow except for one, and I get to nominate someone to pick the social media network that lives on forever. I'm nominating you. Lynette, which is the social network that lives on forever? Instagram. Okay. One book every business person should read. Uh, shoot, what's the name of The Art of War. By Sun Tzu? Yes. That's awesome. That's a great yeah. pick. Didn't see that one coming. All right, final one. Lynette, if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? Dude, we already know this. We are the Wonder Twins. <laughs> I would transform into any animal. Actually, no, I mean outside of the DC universe. Um, if I had any superpower, I would actually say probably the ability to speak and understand any language. Ah, now, future like Dr. past. Hey. Yeah, well, he has a, he has a thing that tr- the the TARDIS does that for him though. That's kind of cheating. No, but doesn't the TARDIS do that for everyone? Isn't his superpower that he can act, one of his superpowers that he can actually um, speak and understand every language, like basically every language? Or is that yes? Just the, I thought that was part of his thing. No, his but it's the TARDIS. There's it's been the TARDIS. episodes where the TARDIS has been injured and they can't. Yeah, they can't understand each other. But Interesting. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Also, also huge Doctor Who fan, just yep. in case anybody didn't realize. Two of us are <laughs> Whovians, three and through. So, Lynette, you've been nice enough to come on and spend some time with me, which is awesome, by the way. I miss you. Um, but now it's that time in the show where I give my guests the ability or the opportunity or the time to just talk about themselves and what they're up to and promote what they're working on and tell people where they can connect to you and all that sort of good jazz. So I'm turning it over to you. Go for it. Oh, 
two sides, very different hats. Um, one, if you're interested in any sort of uh, claim management software, I am a, well, I should say not me. Our company, Claim Wizard, is very much a big fish in a small sea, which I love. I'd much rather work that way than the other way around. Um, so claimwizard.com is our software as a service that is a customized SaaS CRM workflow management for public adjusters. So that's that side. I love servicing that industry. Um, but on the flip side, lynettyoung.com, because I work with a lot of family-owned businesses, which is funny because on the other side, on the software side, 90, no, 100% of those companies are family-owned. So that's kind of an interesting thing that I got myself into. Um, but I do a lot of speaking, a lot of training. I'm actually expanding my speaking now, talking about things you have to evolve a little bit. Um, so I'm going back a bit to digital marketing, but in the realm of direct sales, franchises, and retails that are owned by family businesses. So uh, kind of niche myself out because it's the thing you do. So that's about it. Lynette Radio everywhere on the internet because if it's out there, I have the name. Awesome. Lynette, I'm so happy you came on the show. I miss your face. And uh, oh. we're going to be doing drinks again soon. Cocktails. Um, cocktails. So for all of you out there listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Um, and I'm I'm reasonably certain. No, you know what? I'm undeniably certain that this episode is shareable. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you believe the guests that we get? I can, actually. I schedule them. Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next? Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes. Definitely go check us out on iTunes. And when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review, and then what's that one last thing we want them to do? share the episode oh that's right that's right it's in the name so please share this episode tell everyone you know and we'll see you on the next episode of shareable bye